in the name of God, the most gracious and the most merciful. Welcome to A Struggle Smart Podcast, a platform where we talk about mental health, identity, and faith. On today's episode, with the elections just around the corner in Canada, we're going to be talking about politics and mental health. I'm your host, Nabil Rahman, a registered social worker. I thought it's really important to talk about the impacts that politics and the political structure and landscape has on our mental health. You know, one of the stories that stands out to me more so than others is uh, we had just come to Canada in 1997 and um, there was a lot of, you know, campaigning happening for an election and uh, the late Jack Layton um, knocked on our door. And I remember uh, we were living in Broadview and Gerard at that time. And my parents opened the door. They didn't know, you know, we knew nothing about the political parties in Canada. At that time, we didn't know who uh, Jack Layton was. And, you know, he had a really warm personality and he was having a conversation with my parents to the point that he convinced my parents that we, you know, we have to vote, we have to have our voices heard. And my parents were like, we got to vote for uh, Jacqueline. And um, so my parents actually went to vote, uh, only to be told on the day of that, you know, they were not Canadian citizens as yet. I share that story with you because it is through that initial experience that, you know, I was I witnessed that from my parents and they sort of ingrained in us that, you know, we have come here seeking opportunity, but we also have to come here to have our voices heard and to give back and to be actively engaged within the community. And politics is a big part of that. However, politics also brings about so many intrepidations that we're going to get to. You know, part of our mental wellness is the ability to experience empowerment and feel empowered and the entire process of voting of ensuring that we have a say in who is uh, the political parties and the individuals that are going to represent us is empowering Um, but also recognizing that the existing political landscape presents a lot of racialized individuals newcomers a lot of anxiety around are they going to be looking after my best interest? How do I actively participate? Are there opportunities for active participation? And just the impacts around being civically engaged, what are those impacts on our mental health? I think it's worth discussing because through empowerment, we can truly feel like our voices are heard and not tokenized. And so for this episode, that is sort of what we spend time on is discussing politics but also mental health and how are those two things connected. And joining me to talk about this topic is none other than my brother, Nader Rahman. Um, He was there to witness Jack Lade knocking at my parents or my family's door, just like I was. And I think, you know, we uh, represent a demographic of average Joe individuals and residents who um, are wanting to be civically engaged and are wanting to have our voices heard, but also um, experience uh, a, le- a level of anxiety around election process and the uncertainty that that presents. So uh, one of the first questions that I asked Nader in the podcast was as follows. Nader, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, no problem. No problem. Um, like I mentioned, this is a family affair. We are all considered family when you're listening to the Struggle Smart podcast. Um, so now that let me ask you, what are your thoughts about the election that's just coming up around the corner? I think um, overall, there is a, a little bit of hesitation on my part because I'm not sure who's going to win. Uh, it's been a trying year and a half, two years and uh, the country's been going in a certain direction, but it's been going with one leader, with one vision in place. And whether I agree or disagree, uh, at least I know the outcome right now with so much uncertainty. It sort of gives me a little bit of hesitation to uh, at first as to why the election was called and two as to, you know, what if there is a new government, then what direction are they going to take? Right. And that is a possibility that in the midst of covid there is going to be another variable which is uh, a potentially a new government and we know that whatever happened on september 20th it is not what was on september the 19th given that uncertainty i know you mentioned hesitation um is there a level of uncertainty as it comes to what september 21st might be for you for me um in terms of political leanings, uh, the party that I want is not going to win. The hesitation comes from, well, now we have budget issues that needs to be resolved. Uh, Also, just in terms of scaling back and economic recovery, those are all real problems. And if you choose one government over the other, some may focus more on the small businesses, some may focus more on the corporations and tax breaks for them. In which case, it would make it a little bit harder for us everyday people. And my problem is that money has become tight for a lot of people now. You know, uh, everyone's business has been suffering. So raises are few and far between now. Businesses have scaled back. So if it starts affecting a lot of us, say, depending on the government that comes in, you know, could unemployment go up even more? Could uh, the income inequality, the gap go up even more Uh, in the name of just restoring uh, the books, the balance of it, just those are the kind of things that I'm more worried about. So there's not much um, positive that I can take from this, but I'm, th- it's going to lead to change and negative thoughts too tend to any those. Yeah, no, I know. I could totally understand uh, and appreciate actually how different political leanings, different um, fiscal policies can have an impact on, you know, who is thinking of me? Because clearly, whoever is in charge, um, you know, are supposed to, you know, whichever party, whichever, uh, you know, prime minister or, you know, whoever is in parliament representing your writing are meant to represent your best interests, right? But with, with you being one of millions of residents and being one um, factor or variable of a multitude of businesses and lobbyists and you know where do you fit in and and sometimes it takes a while to find our space and feel comfortable with the government that we have only to have that potentially change I'm wondering those thoughts that you're having as to like where you fit in and, and the uncertainty of you know fiscal policies how do you how do you anticipate handling any potential change on your end, knowing that there's perhaps not much you can do besides voting, which is what you can do. 
to, to have your voice heard. Um, are you preparing in some capacity for that change? Um, in terms of preparedness, I am all, always uh, optimistic in a sense where I'm willing to accept the outcome, regardless of what it is, because I do believe that there are certain principles that Canada holds at least where we won't deviate from that, like universal health care, like uh, the welfare programs, things like that. We will always internally keep that just what keeps us makes us Canadian. It's just ingrained in us. So I'm not too worried in that respect. So I will accept it. But then again, I will campaign on my own with two of my friends, you know, for future elections, because I don't anticipate it getting out of hand. It's just a change factor. And uh, again, as time goes on, and e even if it changes, and it's not to my liking, I do believe that the shift is over the years and the next like 10 years, 15 years, the political landscape is going to be completely different. And the parties that will be representing uh, will be the more popular ones in the future will be nothing like the ones. Does that give you hope? Is that, is that something that you're looking forward to? Or is that something that um, perhaps might bring about a little bit more anxiety? No, that makes me happy. I think generally over time, uh, the, com the country has always tends to go towards more, towards the parties that are more society-based, you know, ones that think of a collectivist mentality where we tend to benefit uh, as a collective group, not just as an individual. Because if you're looking after the group, then the individual within that group is also helped. That's just the main mentality of it. When you look at it from an individualistic point of view, you realize that you're only benefiting, you can only benefit certain number of people when you go individualistic. You know, you everyone has too many different circumstances to individually benefit everyone. But when you go for the group, the group will collectively take care. And, and for you, that group, you said the party that you want to vote for might not potentially win. Um, we're having a very candid conversation. Is there, you can, you can share with us if you're comfortable. Um, the party affiliation or the group uh, or, the, or the party that you think uh, would best uh, do the job of, you know, uh, sort of being the main uh, party in power in Canada? Well, me personally, I vote NDP. Um, I I personally do really like their policies. I have, I will be candid in saying that once I did not vote for NDP, I voted Justin Trudeau, uh, just because I did not like Thomas Walclair. He fiscally did not represent my personal beliefs. So I'm not just about social programs. Fiscally, you need to align as well. Whereas Jagmeet Singh does align fiscally in terms of my policies. And I will speak to one thing. It's um, political affiliations. I think we've taken it to a certain degree where now if you're affiliated with a certain party, that's the party you're, that's the hill you're going to die on. Whatever they say, you're believing. And I think that has a very negative effect because you're no longer critically thinking. You're only critically thinking about anyone who opposes your viewpoint. So say you're a conservative and you you disagree with a liberal, but because the conservative disagrees with the liberal, not based on your own personal principles. It's something where the frustrations can mount, especially when your party's not in power and you're a fil you're you're so deeply entrenched into that culture of that party that I believe that also contributes to mental health issues because there is a level of frustration at that point. But I personally believe you need to be able to distance yourself from the party affiliation and your personal belief system. So you can have more beliefs aligning with a certain party, but you can't go completely into it. You can't just be like everything that party does is correct. 
Right. That's a really interesting point. Um, and it kind of makes me think of how association can sometimes define identity. And when we affiliate or associate with something, the collective mentality of belonging or having membership to a group can sometimes uh, supersede the identity of the individual. And then you get into this, you know, platform versus platform of political parties and the individuals within it are either 100% aligned with that platform, even if they individually don't feel like so. Um, you know, there's a level of safety that comes from association. There's a level of um, belonging that comes from truly, uh, I don't want to use the word adhering to, but almost molding to a particular party. Uh, and, and, and I think you're right that that all impacts our mental wellness. We feel safe when we belong to a party. And so we will defend a position that we might not agree with because defend not defending it would make us feel vulnerable um, and that's a really interesting point that in amidst so much uncertainty with covid we will feel vulnerable i think one of the things about mental health is sometimes we have to sit with the discomfort of being vulnerable we will not know what's going to happen on september the 20th um, and I think for individuals who are, you know, members of political parties and, and quite active and passionate about the parties they represent, I think the idea here is that we can just hold on to that association while still being critical in a way that is constructive, um, in a way that's not going to impact who it is that we are and what is it that makes us feel safe. Um, so for you, that's the NDP, that's, you know, uh, Jagmeet Singh. Um, do you mind sharing with us what about... Uh, NDP with along with the social policy that they might have aligns with what you see Canada being? Yeah, so I, I'll answer in two parts. I'll answer the Jagmeet Singh and then I'll get back into party affiliation. If I forget, please remind me. Jagmeet Singh, what he, he's essentially Bernie Sanders, but Canadian. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. He does believe in forgiving student uh, federal student debt, or at least the starting off the taxation, oh, sorry, the interest rate of it, which is a huge benefit because there's a lot of people 20 years later are still paying for it, right? It's it's not something that's small. It's something people, people have not been able to get houses because of it, especially now with the prices skyrocketing. You know, every little bit counts. The millennial generation has not had the best available resources based on skyrocketing prices of education. For him to just... Be, be reasonable. His goal is to actually cancel student debt, but he knows he can't do it right away, so he promises to uh, stop charging interest on it. And that that's really helpful to a lot of people. Um, things like, you know, expanding our healthcare system, you know, trying to get medication nationalized. So maybe we'll have our own version where it's not your job that's tied to paying for medication, subsidized medication. So things like that where he's just looking after the people. And overall, it's a very inclusive, culturally safe. Um, I believe that they're genuinely open to all and everybody being Canadian. That's that's very important to me. It's very interesting how you mentioned as a student or a millennial, you know, sometimes the just the sheer burden of paying back student loan can be, as somebody who's had to pay back student loans, can be quite overwhelming. Um, to our mental health and you know it can make it seem like an everlasting process 
that um, no matter how much we are advancing in our careers, no matter how much financially we're stable, we tend to always have debts that kind of are holding us back. You know, I often think of how that might be my experience and that might be your experience, but what if that's not everyone's experience? Um, can people empathize? Because there are a vast majority of Canadians who might have never had to take a student loan, who might never have been impacted by paying interest on a student loan, and that's not their lived reality. In in a space of talking about this, you know, talking about politics and associations, I wonder if you have any insights, Nader, on how can somebody who has not had a lived experience still empathize with those who have so that instead of pointing fingers, we try to understand each other better. We try to understand why a particular party has a particular platform that caters to a particular demographic of people, socio and economic. Do you think that's a space instead of trying to point fingers that we try to understand? Is that even feasible, do you think? That's an interesting question, and the second part that I was going to speak to sort of ties into that. The idea of party affiliation, so when you affiliate with a party, it's great, you know, I saw a sense of identity, sense of belonging, but when you exclusively identify with every um, policies that they put forth or any statements that they make, it's easy to politicize an issue. Things that shouldn't be politicized become politicized, and... um, that's how they get you into believing things that are against your self-interest. Like, for example, there are, it's, it's not a secret that most of the people who believe that COVID measures are either fake or too extreme tend to belong more to the right wing. And issues like COVID-19 that has killed a lot of people and has affected a lot, lot more people, it's a real thing. But now, your your if your party goes, this is a political statement, you know, these measures like social distancing and masks, they're detriment to your freedom, and you're believing this, and they're, they're saying it's become politicized, well, it's not the party that's asking you to, you know, be safe and distance and wear a mask that's politicizing the issues, it's the part, it's the people that are trying to use that to get you on their side to have your vote forever. Right. Because now now they can truly take because, again, when it's not comfortable watching people wear masks, one day everything changed for us. Life looked different for us. And that's a very shocking thing to now someone comes and tells you that, hey, you're uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Well, I can make you comfortable because I believe in these things and this thing will open everything up because it doesn't affect you. The virus isn't real or not as dangerous as they make you believe they're they're promising things they can't deliver but the other side really they they need a sense of relief and they need to want to believe in something like that that's what i at least believe right that's my whole take from it is i'm not going to point fingers and say that you're a bad person because you don't want to wear a mask i think there's a level of frustration there and because there's a level of frustration with the extreme patriotic party affiliation if you can get things politicized and now you're fighting a cause, not fight, fighting for a party. So do you think people's political or personal understanding of freedom of rights um, is being exploited by, 
and I wouldn't say any particular group, I would say it's the landscape of politics where getting votes strategically uh, really determines who is inevitably going to win or come into power. Are you suggesting that people's beliefs are somehow being taken advantage of, exploited for the gains of, of the political landscape which all parties are engaging in? Absolutely. So it's I just use the conservatives as an example. Liberals do it all the time. So do NDP. The, the way we get to have these affiliations with these parties is because they, they try to find a common ground with you at some level and they reach out to it. And that's why I believe in distancing yourself from it a little bit, not to be completely ingrained by it, because at the end of the day, it is for your vote. They They don't they don't promise you anything because they're just there for the greater good. I, I don't believe, I mean, they do try to do good, but I don't believe it's exclusively for that. They wouldn't lose a vote in order to make a statement. They'll make a statement, they'll try and get them a vote. So every party exercises that to some degree. What I'm saying is when people are vulnerable, when people are in a state of discomfort almost, it's, you go outside, you look at something, it's really odd, you know, your life has changed, you Things aren't going back to normal. You know, who knows what your personal life was, what the trials and tribulations of that person was pre-COVID. So now for a lot of people, this just added another dimension, another layer to that discomfort. And for them, it is quite, and they would want some semblance of, you know, maybe control over their life back or maybe just to feel a little normal because everyone has something in their life that I don't know, that other people don't know. And I think we need to also keep that in mind that, hey, look, this is really hard, even for the people that don't want to believe that this is real. How interesting would it be then if putting on a mask might give a person a sense of control over preventing themselves from getting the virus and taking off the mask or protesting, putting on the mask is also giving another individual a level of control. Um, it goes to show how behaviors are so relative to the thoughts and beliefs that we hold on to. And it's important to recognize that the political landscape, which functions in a way in which to get the most amount of votes, whether intentionally or unintentionally, can truly exploit our vulnerabilities, our fears, And we've seen this around the world where fear is what dictates uh, who we vote for, right? And and sometimes, you know, voting is not always rational. It is relational. It is what is your relation to the party, the affiliation, the sense of safety you might feel if a particular party is in um, power. And I think it's critical for our mental health to recognize and, and to really speak out that People's mental health cannot be exploited for a particular party's gain. And again, it's not one party. It's the political landscape. It's just the nature of how our politics and our parliamentary system works. But if we are truly to reflect and recognize that amidst this intense uncertainty of COVID, we need our political parties to empathize with our experiences, not to exploit them. We need them to recognize that, you know, people fighting for 
masks and social health measures and you know all the wonderful work that the healthcare workers are doing are doing so to regain some level of normalcy and the people who are fighting against those very same things such as putting on masks uh, potentially anti-vaccines are also trying to resume life to some level of normalcy for them unless the parties recognize that these are people just trying to be safe you know sometimes we cast judgment because the other just seems so far away from us but in doing so we create these processes by which we feel alienated and we can never understand the other because the other is so far removed from our worldview but if we truly live life like that as a society then you're just going to segregate and and you've seen this you've seen segregation of society where there are you know a particular demographic socioeconomic that might be totally into wearing masks and and following social health measures and there's another demographic socioeconomically speaking who are not going to be wearing masks who are going to protest wearing masks all you have to do is go to an anti-mask protest and the demographic seems quite obvious if you want to cast judgment it's so easy to do so but if you want to understand what that means for them i think that's the common ground and so much of politics if we truly took a mental health approach to it might be that instead of me trying to curtail everyone's vote why don't we bring people just so they can understand each other you can disagree still but understanding each other is one step closer to feeling safe no matter which party wins because there is an intentional effort on the party to try to understand the people that they're trying to represent so if your party and and you mentioned that you believe that you know maybe the NDP is not going to uh, come into power so then how do you approach what September 21st will be okay so this is interesting because I do anticipate them getting more seats. I do. Um his popularity is on the rise. And I will say one thing and I've never exercised this and even though maybe strategically is the better way to go is if it wasn't the NDP, I would prefer the Liberals still be in power. It's just based on my you know the lesser of two evil mentality type of thing. So who would I choose after Jagmeet Singh, right? Um the whole idea is a lot of people want to say vote strategically if you know a vote for jugmeet singh means that you know trudeau has less of a chance of winning and practically speaking ndp votes are taken away from him well that's i believe vote who you want because i think if people didn't strategically vote the ndp would have a lot more vote because a lot of people in surveys they've done surveys jugmeet singh is the most popular by like over 50% right aaron o'toole Justin Trudeau are below 40% each. Aaron O'Toole's like 30 something percent. He's one of the lowest rated. But see people are voting for him anyways. He's polling quite well. Justin Trudeau still polling. Jagmeet Singh though because people don't think he can win. So the NDP people who support Jagmeet Singh who thinks he's the like most likable character, they're strategically voting Trudeau because they don't think so I I refuse to fall into that just because I think it's my vote i wanted to count for what i wanted to count for and i think if people were to just vote in favor of who they wanted to the outcome would be very different i think the strategy should be left to the parties not the people the people have a responsibility to vote for who they truly believe is the right person for the job i think that's our you know civic duty do you find that given the political landscape it is people who have had to strategize 
rather than vote per their values or beliefs? Yeah, absolutely. That, that, and that is what the agenda has always been now. You don't campaign on the people that already agree with you. You campaign on, hey, look, if you don't vote for me, then someone else is going to. You're trying to, like America, they do it the best. You know, Joe Biden took all the votes from Bernie Sanders because they said that, hey, look, Joe Biden has a better chance of beating Donald Trump than um, Bernie Sanders. But Bernie Sanders polled at a much higher rate. So they no longer are saying, Here, here's my policies to help you. You know, the liberals aren't saying, here's my policies to help you. They're just going, hey, look, you don't vote for me. The conservatives are going to win. That's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, these are my policies. This is why it works for you. If we are looking at today, and if we happen to vote because of who we do not want to win, then, you know, if we just sit with that and let and let it reflect on our mental wellness, we recognize that fear of what could happen becomes the primary motivator of the decisions that we make. Now, there's nothing wrong with fear being the primary motivator for, for certain things in our lives. But if once it becomes the primary motivator for many things in our lives, then we begin to worry more than care we begin to be always vigilant than be present. And our bodies are not designed for that. We're not designed to be vigilant all the time. We're not designed to be fearful all the time. And we're not designed to worry all the time. And in today's political you know, landscape, we see that there is this fear-based politics. And and very few acknowledgments have ever been made by the system, the institutions, the people who perpetuate this this exploitation of affiliation or this you know perpetuation of our fears to vote in a certain way. Um, I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. I certainly have my hesitations for certain, political parties coming into power and I also have hope of who I would like to come into power it's are we leading with fear versus are we leading with care and passion and ultimately if we are to be represented by the people who are in power I think our voices have to represent more than just the fear that we're experiencing it has to represent the passion that we have for the country. It has to represent the hopes that we have for this country because only then can the uncertainty of what the future holds be somehow experienced as the excitement of the realization of our vision, of our collective identity as Canadians. Um, so now there, as we're approaching the conclusion of the Struggle Smart podcast, the uncertainty will tell you that you have to struggle, that no matter who comes into power, there's going to be a little bit of a struggle. How can we struggle smart? How can we embrace and, and, and look forward to the election and what comes after that? Um, yeah, regardless of the outcome, honestly, I think in order to struggle smart, you have to start recognizing that different people have different perspectives. And uh, everyone comes from a place that's genuinely they're trying to better society in their own 
vision and understanding that by and large people aren't being evil to one another even though i vehemently disagree with a lot of them i'm i still again initially i did not recognize that but later on and it, it helped me just to calm me down just to understand that in their own right they're 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 doing what they think is correct and hey maybe you know they'll change their mind to what i believe or maybe it may be the opposite but at some level no matter what happens i think we all have good intentions and i think you know no matter who's in power they can't do something so terrible that this country will be unrecognizable so until the next election i guess we just keep going we have to keep going guys and this podcast has to keep going so nader thank you so much for your time um truly a pleasure to speak politics and mental health make sure you tune in for our next podcast um uh, where we're going to talk about the difference between caring and worrying until next time take care